Well, it is not an overstatement in the least to say that what happens over the three days we are looking at today in the story are the most significant days in human history. You know, the AFL has declared September 24th as Grand Final Day. They have declared that that is the day that is the pinnacle of that sport. But for Christians, these three days are Grand Final Day. And I'll tell you why. The only chance we have to come back to God, the only chance we have of living life forever without sin, the only chance we have of living now with unprecedented hope relies completely on Jesus' victory over Satan, death and the grave. The victor at the grand final, which hopefully this year will be Geelong, <laughs> holds the Premiership Cup up high, right? They do. They hold the Premiership Cup up high. Now, if you're into golf, then the victor at the Masters is robed with the green jacket. When Jesus defeated death, sin and the grave on this Sunday morning, he lifted up his arms and held you and said, I have no interest in trophies. I have no interest in being robed like royalty. I did this all for you. Friday morning, 9am, they nailed the hands and feet of Jesus to the cross. Three hours later at noon, darkness came over all the land. How appropriate. Then three hours later at 3pm, Jesus has been hanging on the cross for a total of six gruesome hours. Jesus, out of nowhere, shouts out this most unusual question, which we focused a little bit on last week, but today I want to give some more impact from this question. That unusual question was this, Eli, Eli, Lema Sabatani, translated from the Hebrew name and Aramaic, um, here is the question he asked. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I was taught, and I reckon most of you were too, that this is the moment in human history where God the Father could not look at his Son because Jesus had taken all our sin upon himself and God could not look sin in the face. Last week we talked about the holiness of God and how utterly it makes him want to vomit the sin of man. That he could not look sin in his face. And so at this dark hour in the life of Jesus, I was taught that he turned his back on his son. Or as the whole old hymn declares, he turned his face from him. You know the one? How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mother chosen one bring many sons to glory. Now, 
after all these years of being taught this, I came across something this week which has changed all of that. And I'm now convinced that that is not what happened in that moment. Let me tell you why. See, this week I came across um, a Jewish educational technique the rabbis used to help people in their memorization of Scripture. Jewish people, particularly in the Old Testament, would memorize volumes of the Scriptures because there were no written copies of the Bible like we have today. And in fact, the education system was largely around by the age 13, most Jewish boys had memorized the Torah. And so the rabbi would give them hints to help them recite a passage using a tradition called remez, where the rabbi would start off a text with a phrase and then the students would finish it. So let me do a little remez with you where I'll start out with something you've likely memorized and you finish it, okay? Mary had a little lamb and everywhere that Mary went, good remezzing. That's great. You've done really well. Every one of you, gold star in remez school for today. Now, scholars believe that this is actually what Jesus is doing on the cross in that moment, that he is remezzing. He is giving the people the first line to a song they had memorized and they would be then encouraged to complete it. And where is this song found? Well, it's actually a song written by King David and sung a thousand years before the cross Psalm chapter 22. And as you might suspect, the very first line of this psalm reads, it says it with me, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The people would have then responded with the second line of the psalm, which goes like this, Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out, by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. This would have caused the Jewish people who memorized this psalm as a child to go deeper into the psalmist's lament and they would find themselves in the petitions David made to God. The first petition they would run to is found in verse 7 where David sang, All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. At this, the people in the crowd would be saying, wait a minute, didn't we just do this to Jesus? In fact, the Gospels say those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. They would then come to the next petition of David in Psalm 22, where David sings, He trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Wait a minute, the people would say. Didn't the thief on the cross 
just say the very thing to Jesus a few hours ago? Why, yes, he did. The Gospels say he trusts in God. Let him rescue him now. It would lead them to the next petition of David that they had memorized in Psalm 21, verse 15, the psalmist says, My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. <laughs> yeah, how do you pronounce that, Faye? That's right. Um, uh, and then they would have said, Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus just shout out this very idea? In John we see later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. It should be dawning on them what is happening here. And then the next petition would come where David sings, They pierce my hands and feet. Sound familiar? Actually, we have no record that David's hands and feet were ever pierced. Could it be that none of this is actually happening to King David? This is, is all a prophecy of what was yet to come? Sure enough, listen to Thomas's words in John 20. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails went and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. They come to the final petition we're going to talk about today where David sings, They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. They would say, wait a minute. Didn't the Roman soldiers do this to Jesus as they nailed him to the cross? Absolutely. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. Wait a minute. They should have said, Jesus, the rabbi, is remezzing with us. By starting off with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is leading us to the fullest story of what is happening to him on the cross. He is pointing us to the psalm that was written over a thousand years ago, which describes everything that has just happened to him. See, in the lower story, it would appear that the Jews and Romans have come together to kill Jesus. But in reality, in the upper story, this was God's plan all along. He is the Messiah, the suffering servant. He is fulfilling prophecy. His shout was not a cry of despair, but the cry of the fulfillment of prophecy. But the psalm doesn't end here. And they knew it. Every lament in the book of Psalms makes a turn. And this one is no exception. It starts with all the lament and the petitions. And then it makes a shift to a declaration of praise and of deliverance. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. 
As you descendants of Jacob, or all you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. See, Jesus is saying, I was not at any time forsaken by my Father. The Father has not at any time turned his face from me. I will be delivered from this death in just a few moments. See, good, good fathers don't turn their backs on their children. God held his hand and his heart through this horrific experience for your sake. He is speaking of the resurrection, of his deliverance. He is saying by referring to Psalm 22, in three days you will see me again. I will rise from the dead. I will be delivered. But before the people could do anything about it, Jesus declared with one more thrust of air through his worn and beaten frame, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. See, it is finished does not mean he is finished, but the work he has come to do is complete. The single Greek word he spoke was telestai. In Jesus' day, um, papyri receipts for taxes have been recovered with that word, to telestai, written across the meaning, paid in full. But there is more. The Jewish audience knew how Psalm 22 ended. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Who are the people yet unborn? Well, that's, that's you. David is saying that there will be a day like today where people who were not yet born will be born and someone like me will stand up and declare his righteousness and victory. But there's more. The entire psalm finishes with the phrase, He has done it. Does that sound familiar? In Hebrew, it's just one word, hasar. Probably chasar, but anyway. And it means to complete, or it is finished. Jesus hanging on the cross in severe pain is ever teaching the people what is really going on. He remezzes with them by starting this psalm out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he wraps it up at the end. It is finished. Jesus, like David, may have felt he was forsaken, but in the end, there was a difference in feeling forsaken and actually being forsaken. God the Father did not turn his face from his Son. Fathers don't do that. Now here's the good news. The same God who did not forsake his son will not forsake you. Why? 
Because the Bible says all who believe with their heart that Jesus is the Messiah and confess with their mouth that God raised him from the dead on the third day and believe it for the forgiveness of their sins. John 1.12 says, Of those people you have the right to be called children of God. And because you are a child of God, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There may be a cloud in your life right now and you may think God has turned his face from you but he has not. If you know him, he has not. Receive that into your soul. I'd like to share a testimony with you of a lady named Bernie, a Jewish lady who found Jesus the Messiah. She recounts how God used several influences, including Jews for Jesus, Holocaust survivors who converted to Christianity and Messianic um, cedars in her journey to becoming a Jewish believer in Jesus. So we have the volume up. Hey, so Bernie, uh, tell us a little bit of your journey. Um, okay, so my, my parents were um, Jewish Holocaust survivors from Poland. And um, after the war, they migrated um, via Israel to Melbourne, Australia, which is where I was born. And I was raised in a very traditional Jewish home, and Jesus was not something we ever talked about. And, um, and then I grew up and left Australia and went to England, and that's where I met my husband, and then we had kids, and then we moved to New Jersey, and then we came to Texas. And we were raising the kids in the Jewish faith. And it was about six years ago that I just really started to feel a disconnect from God. And so I just started talking to him and praying. And my, my question was, what do I need to do to be right with you? What do I need to do to have a relationship with you? And no one knew I was praying this. My family didn't know. Um, but God did because he decided to send a whole bunch of Christian ladies to stalk me. And... Um, <laughs> And there's a lot of Christian women in Texas, right? Um, <laughs> but it was actually a Jewish believer um, that works for Jews for Jesus uh, in Brooklyn. And she came over and we met and I asked her questions and she shared with me two scriptures that I'd never read. One was Isaiah 53 and one was Psalm 22. And what little I knew of Jesus, I saw in those scriptures. And that was the starting point for me. And then I had agreed to receive literature from Jews for Jesus ministry, which I started to receive. And of course I saw it and I'd be like, ugh, I don't need this. And I threw it in the trash. And this went on for eight months. And then on the eighth, around the eighth month, for some reason, I was prompted to open up that literature. And it happened to be on Holocaust survivors that had accepted Jesus. And that was the starting point. And then I ended up going to a messianic seder that I didn't know was messianic and so I was hearing the rabbis say Yeshua and I didn't know who he was talking about and my friend said that's Jesus and that was when I felt like the rush yeah. like all over yeah. and that I just went to the rabbi and I said okay have I missed something and he went mm-hmm <laughs> and I said what do I need to do and he said accept Jesus and I went okay <laughs> so I did. So you did. I did. Now, that's Hallelujah. a good story, folks. That's a good story. <laughs> so you like to be referred to uh, as a Jewish believer in Jesus. Why do you like that title? 
I like it because a lot of people tend to say, this, was, this is Bernie, she was Jewish, is now Christian, which is true. I am a Christian, I believe Christ is our Messiah. and I mean, Jesus is our Messiah, Christ. But there's just something about the implication that I may be left my faith. Uh -huh. And I really want people to know, especially people that my Jewish friends, I want them to know I didn't, I, I found it. I found my, our Messiah that we're waiting on, you yeah. know? And so I want them to know that. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Raised a Jew her whole life, yet had never come across Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22. And I wonder why. I wonder why in synagogue they never read those passages. Most likely that her Jewish teachers still reject Jesus. Yet she had an encounter with Jesus and her testimony is now that she found her faith. She has found her Messiah, her Saviour, and his name is Jesus. Many of us have had that moment where we too found Jesus, our Saviour, where we became children of God as we believed with our heart that Jesus is the Messiah and confessed with our mouth that God raised him from the dead on the third day and believe it for the forgiveness of our sins. And God says to each of us today, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I also know that there are some people here today who haven't yet come to faith in Jesus. You have heard about Jesus but you have not come to that moment where you believe. You may feel no shame or guilt in your sin, or you may feel that you are not worthy, that your sin, the stuff you've done, the way you live, the values you have held in your life, the past hurts, the past pains, that all of your history and past disqualifies you from the love of God. But you need to know this today. You have an opportunity to come to God. You have an opportunity of living life in eternity without sin. You have an opportunity of living now with unprecedented hope. This opportunity came through Jesus' victory over Satan, death and the grave. And he won that victory on the cross and he won that victory for you. Are you going to take this opportunity to believe upon Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour? If you are, then I'll ask you to pray with me now. Almighty God, today I confess that God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, and I believe it for the forgiveness of my sins. I claim your promise to never leave me nor forsake me. I thank you for the finished work of Jesus on the cross and by faith accept your love and forgiveness. I invite your Holy Spirit to work within me now. And those of us who have already made this confession, we are full of gratitude for your sacrifice. 
and ask that you continue to increase our faith. We also invite your Holy Spirit to continue to work within each one of us, transforming our thinking, our deeds and our beliefs in line with yours. Help us to honour the sacrifice of your Son and live in the hope that we have in you, bought by the victory of Christ over Satan, death and the grave. Amen.